We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Thursday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Rights Podcast, powered by Twisted Tea. Today, we've got a two-lane preview from Jerry Smith. Jerry covers two-lane for the New Orleans Advocate, Times Picayune, as well as the two-lane rival site. We talked a lot about what the 2021 season meant for the program, what they returned this year, impressions week one against a good South Alabama team, and how he thinks this game shapes shakes out against Ole Miss. So, Great preview. Think it'll get you smarter before you watch the game on Saturday. Think you'll enjoy it. Buckle up. Before we get to that, they wanted to remind you. The podcast is brought to you by Seaspire. Time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99% uptime. Seaspire also provides prides themselves with the best customer service in the in-home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning, local, based out of the Southeast with industry low-call wait time. Seaspire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and the Southern Alabama region. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new two gigabit and eight gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today and use promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, at checkout for one month of free service. So if you're signing up for internet right now just for listening to this podcast, you get your first month free just by typing in that promo code RIPPY. Check them out, Cspire, customer inspired. Podcast is also brought to you by Rent the Sip Oxford. Rent the Sip Oxford's Turnberry unit will sleep eight comfortably. It's gated. It offers amenities such as tennis courts a spa, a pool, and it's right there less than a mile from the Ole Miss campus off of Old Taylor Road. Please go take advantage of this deal. The Vandy football weekend is still available. Everything else football weekend is booked up, but Vandy football weekend is still available. And then, of course, any other time, Thanksgiving holidays, maybe coming up for basketball games this year. Go ahead and book your stay at rentthesipoxford.com. Right there off Old Taylor Road, Bracken Ray, great guy, friend of the pod, would not steer you the wrong way. It can be tough to find a place to stay on busy weekends in Oxford. Maybe you don't want to deal with the hotel and get a more at-home feeling environment. This is exactly what you're getting in rentthesipoxford.com. Check out their turn barrier unit today. Go online to rentthesipoxford.com and check availabilities. And then when you check out, use the promo code RIPPYRIGHTS for 100 bucks off any two-night minimum. Check them out, rentthesipoxford.com, a great place to stay, a tremendous location that you should take advantage of today. All right, here's Jerry Smith. 
All right, we now welcome on Gary Smith. He's the Tulane beat writer for NOLA.com as well as the Tulane Rivals site. I appreciate you joining us, man. How you doing? I'm glad to be on. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this game Saturday. I imagine as far as a Tulane beat writer goes, this has to be one of the more exciting times in recent memory as far as really football or any sport is concerned. Nationally ranked team, top 25. Yeah. You know, that new stadium still has some luster to it as well. On-campus games against the top 25 team. What is kind of the vibe amongst the Tulane fan base? Oh, yeah. It, it, it's a different world now. Let, let's put it this way. Until last year, the last time Tulane had beat a ranked top 25 a top 25 football team was 1984 in any game Good now won three games in a row over ranked opposition beating cincinnati ucf and usc um and uh yeah and, and their basketball team by the way hadn't beaten a ranked team since the year 2000 so that's 24 years ago so yeah this is this is uncharted territory in modern times for for tulane and and it's going to be a sellout this game saturday um, the fans really got behind the team at the end of last year, and the excitement has definitely continued over to this season. How skeptical, optimistic, I know that's necessarily not necessarily your job, but when Willie Fritz took over, did you see any of this coming? What did you think he was up against versus what it is now? Did I see 12-2 and two coming with a win over USC and the Heisman Trophy winner in the Cotton Bowl? Probably not. I did... Uh, yeah, I, I covered I I went to the University of Florida. I covered the University of Florida for almost for 20 years. I uh, I covered Steve Spurrier as a coach. I covered Urban Meyer as a coach. And and Willie Fritz, in terms of his attention to detail and the way he runs practices is as good or better than any coach I've ever I've ever dealt with. So I saw that Um he certainly had real ambition to do something in the program. The first, the first year he went to a bowl game at six and six in his third year, he laughed and said, all these coaches at the coaching convention were coming up and congratulating him like he'd done something. And that that wasn't what he'd come to Tulane to do, but then it didn't get better in terms of the record for the next few years. And then they bottomed out two years ago. So no, I, I wouldn't say I thought, I thought Tulane could be a contender for sure under him. Cause he's just a really good coach and, and knows what he's doing. But I don't think I saw Tulane being a top 25 team, maybe back to back years, which it looks like Tulane has a really good chance to be. And who knows what we'll find out a lot more about what this team's peak is on, on, on Saturday. But this definitely looks like a team that has a great chance to repeat as American Athletic Conference champion at the, at the minimum. What did last year mean in terms of validation of the Fritz era? Because you mentioned, right, it was a job that it was a longer rebuild, I imagine, when he took over, you know, four and eight, five and seven, he gets to the bowl game in the third year, as you mentioned, back to back seven and six years, goes six and six again the next year. Mm -hmm. You kind of have that two and 10 blip in 2021 yeah. before, of course, what a magical year last year was. What was the... What was the consensus as far as approval opinion on Fritz entering last season? Because, I mean, two and 10, no matter how you... Well, it, it wasn't good. I mean, it was a, fans are fans. That's just the way they're going to work. If you look at the history, not only was Tulane having a series of losing seasons before he arrived, Tulane was unathletic and uncompetitive. They, they had, you know, three or four really good players on each team. But if you looked at the depth chart and, and games, they were getting housed. I remember I covered a game in the Superdome when Bob Toledo was near the end of his era. They played Houston and it was one of Houston's really good teams. And Houston won 73 to seven. And it, every single player that was on the field for Houston was unbelievably better than every single player that was on the field. For, it was just, it was a mismatch. I covered another game against UCF where 
UCF ran the opening kickoff back for a touchdown and then ran on the last play of the game, ran an interception back a hundred yards for a touchdown. So that's one of the only games I've ever seen where a team scored on the first play of the game and the last play of the game. And they scored a whole heck of a lot in the middle of that too, back then. So Willie Fritz made them much more competitive. And there was a lot of reasons for the two and 10. There was a, the, the hurricane Ida that displaced the team for a month. They lost their home game against Oklahoma. They had an offensive coordinator that didn't mesh well in, in chip and, um, um, and and um, and Chip Long with 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 Wilt with um with their with Michael Pratt and other players. Just a lot of things went wrong. Um, so that was misleading. But still, forget two and ten to just go from six and six and seven and six to what Tulane did last year was just a monstrous leap. Willie Fritz thought he saw it coming a few years ago. They actually thought they could make that breakthrough in twenty twenty one when they went two and ten. But I can't say I that fans were not optimistic going into last year and which is just normal when you're coming off a two and 10 season and you're in your um what was that in your sixth year and you know amory native will hall he was the offensive coordinator there yeah. for a bit you know mm -hmm. he leaves for the southern miss job in 2021 and that predate that precedent for that uh 2021 season i remember when Ole miss played Tulane in 2021 that game in Oxford was not particularly close but if you'd have told me that that was a two and ten Tulane team I'd have thought man that really just doesn't make a ton of sense Michael Pratt was a young quarterback at that mm -hmm. point in his career and I'm sitting there thinking like man that kid's I think other people thought it too it's like that kid's tough as nails they have a pretty competitive yeah. team there you kind of outline why that season went the way it did how crucial was it to get the coordinator hire right after that that led to last season yeah, it, it was huge. And I and I I got along great with Chip Long, but he wasn't and he was a per, close personal Will Hall's closest friend. That's how he ended up being hired at, at Tulane. Didn't work out. He, he's an old school coach who coaches negative reinforcement and doesn't that, work these days. A lot. And it, and it doesn't work pretty much at all. And it really doesn't work when you're losing. If you're winning, you may get away with it. But when things started going sideways that season, the players they just didn't like him. They, they did. They kind of tuned him out as, as the year went along. He had some friction. It may, I think that's overstated a little bit because of course you're going to have friction when you're two and 10, but he and, 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 and uh, Willie and, and, and uh, Willie had some friction on top of that. So it just, it wasn't a good match. So it was huge. But the funny thing is I'm not sure Tulane did hit it totally right on their offensive coordinator last year. Cause unbeknownst to all of us, and I cover the team every day I'm at practice. He switched he didn't like what he saw in the spring last year um, with, with, uh, with, with, with who he'd hired. So he, he actually made his tight end coach Slade Nagel, the play caller during the season. And you could see a noted of market difference in the offense last year. You, you could just see beautifully how they set things up. Like I remember the Memphis game. Um, they, they, they ran Ty J Spears on the first two plays to the left and it was successful. And then the third play, they faked to him to the left and slipped the tight end out on the right. And the whole Memphis team went one way and they gained about 30 yards, just, just, just stuff like that. But it, it, uh, it, it turned out that, um, that that was Slade Nagel's doing and Tulane at, at, after the, after the bowl game, Willie Fritz made him the offensive coordinator this year. And uh, so it, it's kind of interesting that Tulane had all of that, that, that success while there was some, I, I wouldn't say friction, but there were certainly some some changes on the staff um, at, at the start of last year in terms of of, of who was calling the plays and, and both and and the offensive coordinator that Fritz brought in resigned in January because I don't think he wanted a, he didn't want a demotion um, to he was he was just going to be a position coach if he stayed on the staff, which is a fascinating wrinkle in this whole thing. And I'm just curious, like from what you understood with it, just to clarify, was that a yeah. Fritz decision or was that an it, OC it decision? A, after it was spring? a Fritz. It was a Fritz decision. He didn't like he didn't like 
the way the offense looked in the spring is basically what it was last spring. And he made that decision in, in the summer. And for whatever reason, they didn't want anybody to know. Um, I'm still a little embarrassed by the situation because I sure as heck didn't know, but I know not, nobody, almost nobody knew. I'm people that are really insiders in the program didn't, didn't even know he made the change. And then for whatever reason, it was a strange timing about five days before the cotton bowl, they decided somebody, and it, it was an administrator, they decided to leak the information to the athletic and, and somebody, an outsider from the athletic wrote a whole feature about how Slade Nagel had taken over on the offense. So you don't, you wouldn't think that's the best preparation <laughs> for, for, for a huge game like the cotton bowl, but um, it, it, Tulane went out and hung 46 points on USC in the, in the cotton bowl. So, so it, uh, it, 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 it somehow worked out. What was that day and that whole game like for a program that had struggled for a long time like that? What do you remember about that day and what you thought it meant at the time? Yeah, it, it, it was huge because I actually, having seen Caleb Williams and how he couldn't walk at the end of uh, the Pac-12 championship game, I actually thought that Tulane had a really good chance to win that game going in. Having seen the way he played that day <laughs> when – he was just ugly. He couldn't run, but he had receivers open on every play. And you, you realized how unbelievably talented USC was as an offense. Tulane had won a lot of games with defense last year, and they had no chance to stop USC um, on, on defense. And it tells you just how tough the team had become and how much self-belief they had on offense, that they were able to stay within range, hang in there so that they could get a miracle at the end. And then they, they they got the miracle at the end when USC fielded a kickoff at their own one yard line and fumbled it out of bounds, then set and then tried to run it right up the middle two plays and got a safety, <laughs> which put the ball back in the Tulane offense hand. They were able to go down the length of the field and win by one point. But uh, I mean, past Tulane teams, the way you, it, it, the way USC killed them on offense, the final score could have been like that Ole Miss game two years ago with past Tulane teams, where they couldn't, where they 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 couldn't stop Matt Corral early, and then the defense just fell apart. This time Tulane hung in there, made a huge play on defense. The Tajay Spears rushed for two hundred, and they were able to, to to beat a blue blood program. It, it, it said a ton about where Tulane had just the, the mindset and the winning culture that's developed in the program. I guess a little bit of an like an old school sports writer question here, but that was one of the crazier last four or five minutes yeah. of a game I've seen in quite a long time. I remember it goes touchdown safety, and then all of a sudden yeah. it's like, what in the hell is going on? Did you yeah. just have to scrap everything you had prepared prior yeah, to the totally. last five yeah. minutes? I, when, when, and it started when USC got overconfident and they were up 12. They had, I think, a fourth and three at the 25-yard line, and – they could have run basically any play they wanted and gotten the first down. And then they could have run more time off the clock game over, but they kicked the field goal because they thought the game was over. They were up by 12. Um, and so they, they made it a 15 point lead, but that, that gave a chance for what happened to happen Tulane, I think scored in two plays <laughs> um, to make it an eight point game. Then they kicked off when USC fumbled that kickoff out of bounds at the one we were talking they probably would have had a better chance to win USC if Caleb Williams had taken the ball on the next snap and laid it in the end zone and let Tulane recover it for a touchdown. And then Tulane made a two point conversion to tie it up because then the ball would have been in USC's offense's hands. They would have had enough time to go down, kick a field goal on the last play of the game. But they did the one thing they couldn't do. They, they tried to run up the middle of the first play. That makes sense, but it was almost a safety. It was incredibly close to being a safety. And then unbelievably, they dialed up the exact same play on second down. And, and and got the safety and that 
took it out of the hands of their offense and into the hands of Tulane and Tulane was able, I mean, I had predicted before the game that Spears would rush for 200 yards because USC's defense was in disarray and he's just, he's, he's a transcendent running back. And uh, yeah, USC did not want to put that game in the hands of their defense at the, at the end of it. And they, they found a way to do it and Tulane found a way to win it. In this modern age of college football, in terms of like a fan base and support and people like rowing in the same direction, it's as big of a topic as ever from NIL and whatnot. And I get it's like slightly different at the power five level, but it's all generally the same thing. What in terms of what you thought the Tulane program could be before the 2022 season versus what happened after that last five minutes in Dallas or Arlington at the Cotton Bowl? How much did that change as far as buy in support? whatever comes along with a bowl win like that, particularly for a group of five team. Yeah, it's huge. And it happened at, at, at the perfect time. Cause um, I actually think Tulane for the moment is in a good situation in the American athletic conference. It looked like it took a monster hit when Houston, UCF and Cincinnati left. I don't but think not really the case as it looks now, because UTSA is a, is a coming They're They're sort of where central Florida was about five, eight years ago, they're actually, they're almost were in the top 25. They did lose to Houston on the road in their first game, but the problem is down the road because this is going to keep, keep going on. And, but Tulane had to make themselves relevant. They were not relevant. They were not, nobody talked about Tulane on any type of scale whatsoever. Now Tulane is put into the position where if they can sustain this and as long as Fritz stays and he almost he was very very close to being hired by Georgia Tech in the offseason as long as Tulane stays they're going to be a conference contender every year in, in the league and they and if they sustain it for a few years they'll make themselves relevant so that maybe the next time the ACC is looking to add teams when all the minor conferences are completely when they may be separating divisions and whatever's going to happen down the road, Tulane put themselves into a position. They had to do something to make themselves relevant and they did. And it's so much easier to say that like hindsight 2020 in terms of like the American being in a good spot. And I certainly didn't think that at the time when, you know, they lost Cincinnati, UCF, whatever, but like, it's crazy to think about in hindsight that really the reason for that is because there's kind of a surplus of those group of five teams looking for an opportunity to move up a peg and move up to a better mm -hmm. conference. Whereas these power five conferences where kind of the money pouring yeah. for the lack of a better phrase, and just trying to realign to make the most money collectively. There's not that actually many that desirable programs or at the group of five level. Yeah. That's not really the case at all. And it's, it's just, I don't even really have a question out of all that. It's just yeah. fascinating to see in hindsight. It's like these group of five conferences are actually positioned a lot better because they're more of those that have good football programs mm -hmm. that are committed to it, that are looking to get to a high level than vice versa, where you're at the group yeah. of five level and you're trying to replace whoever the hell just left. Yeah. And on another topic, I'll be very interested to see how SMU fares in the ACC. Cause yeah. they just, they're jumping up and down in celebration. They just decided Will that actually be a better thing. They, they just decided to take no money, no TV revenue for nine years. Yeah, I get it. They've got rich boosters, but this is an SMU team that never once made it to the American athletic conference championship game. And you sure as heck can't say it's because they didn't have the right coach because their coach leaves and takes TCU to the national championship Unbelievable. the next year. So it's not like they just needed the right coach. They, they were a decent program in the conference, but they they've never even made the championship game. And I, I don't I don't see I don't see good things for that program down the road. I mean, the deal is they're just worried about the future and what's going to happen. You, you, you it may be in the case in five years, you've got to be in one of those conferences to be be relevant. But I, I don't forecast a bright future. It's certainly in the next 10 years for SMU and their in their new league. I don't really see that as the case either. And it's kind of a bit of a waiting game, right? Like there's one wave of conference realignment and then there's kind of the conference scrambling. And like, if you're the group of five program, 
taking advantage of the opportunity of another power five comet scrambling. Does that actually work out for you long-term particularly with, I mean, my God, you have Cal in the ACC now. I don't understand <laughs> how any of this is going to make remote guess, sense at all. And so guess, kind of bringing that back to the two lane side of it, what do you think actually led Willie Fritz to not take the Georgia tech job and well, remain at Tulane? It was a really, there were two things, but one, it was because Georgia tech demanded that before Tulane played UCF in the conference championship game, that he come up and address folks saying that he was taking the job. And he said, no way. I'm not, this game is too important for this program. If you really want me, you can wait a week. And Georgia tech, it was kind of a controversial decision at Georgia tech. There was a faction that wanted him and a faction that didn't want him. And when he stood ironclad on not going up and delivering that speech, the faction that didn't want him, one out and they ended up hiring their interim coach to, to, to be, be the coach. But it was a, it was a really close decision. If, and if he'd have, if he'd have been like 99, maybe 99 is too high, 95% of the coaches in the country, he would have gone to Georgia tech and given that, that, that speech, they weren't asking him not to coach Tulane in the game, but they were just asking him to take time during the week and go up and say that he was, and he, and he wouldn't do it. And he told them, if you really want me, you'll wait. And, uh, and then, and then things spiraled out. I don't think by the time the, by the time I think he would have stayed at Tulane anyway, after they initially refused to do that, I don't think he would have ended up taking that job anyway, but if they, but, but, but it, it was close, that that's for sure. And, and it's really unique. There, there's almost no situation in recent years where a non power five conference team has had a really successful season. And then the coach hasn't moved on. And, uh, and, and, and Willie Fritz is, is, is the one example here. A head coach standing upon principle and not being a hypocrite. What a concept. Yeah. And the probably yeah. the better way to ask that is, what do you think made him comfortable enough not to do that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's clear that he thinks he can continue to win at Tulane. He's got a he's got a good athletic director in Troy Dan and the Tulane school presidents in the past at Tulane have been wishy-washy. I mean, the, the classic at Tulane, Tulane went to a bowl game in 2002, which was they'd gone undefeated in 12 and 0. Then then um, Tommy Bowden, Rich Rodriguez left and, and they, they went to a bowl game and then immediately after the game, the school president announced that they were going to do an evaluation of the entire program to see whether they should stay in division one. <laughs> I mean, you know, and then they ended up deciding yes, but that was the type president they were dealing with. The, the, the current president, Mike Fitz is completely, totally in support of an athletic program and believes that the athletic program is important to the school. So they've got the people, the administration in place that Willie Fritz believes that it wasn't a one-year thing. And, and he didn't come to Tulane to win one. Like he, he thought he'd get it done a lot earlier than he did. And he came to build a sustained, successful program, which really has never happened in my lifetime. And I'm trying to, that more than two consecutive winning seasons, I more than not losing six games in consecutive seasons. I can't remember I can't remember a time when that didn't happen. So that that's what he's dealing with. And he, he thinks he can compete for conference championships every year at Tulane. This is probably a note I should have had before we did this interview, but like, was that current president instrumental in the new stadium or who actually got that done? No, that was, that was, um that was beforehand. Cause they, they, and they did a huge study on it. Um, it was, they, the neighbors in the, in the neighbor, neighborhood didn't want it. They fought it big time. And it, it was so funny because Tulane fans thought the stadium was too small. I actually think, with the way attendance is going in college football and, and, and what a two lanes attendance has been, it's the right size for a stadium. Absolutely. The, the neighbors thought it was way too big because they're saying, Oh, they're only getting 10,000 people at the dome. Why are you, when they didn't understand that you can't build a 10,000 seat college stadium, but it, it was a controversial deal and they had to make all sorts of concessions that they backed out of on some, but kept some about 
when they could play, they couldn't have high school games in the stadium, all kinds of other stuff. But that was not that was not a Fitz decision. But like the next thing they need, they need an indoor practice facility because they don't they don't have one. And there was like the Monday before the South Alabama game, there was lightning and they couldn't practice that day. And they're still working on the funding, but they know it's going to happen. And if the administrative support wasn't there, they it wouldn't happen. I think I think that's still Willie Fritz's concern is that the facilities the amenities around aren't as good as they need to be, but he, he knows that they're going to do that. This administration will try to do whatever they can to help him out, which he, if, if that weren't the case, he'd be Georgia tech's coach right now. And what's crazy about that is whether it was by accident or just incredible foresight is just the way college football is going. I mean, Ole Miss expanded their stadium a few years ago and they struggle to fill it sometimes yeah. because whether it's they made the student section too large or just the at-home experience plus COVID and all those conversations we always have in the off season, it's like it's harder to get people to go to games now where it's kind yeah. of the perfect size. Just from yeah. the time they've been in that stadium, that's fascinating to me. What do you think it's done for the program? I hate I'm missing out on actually getting there to see it for yeah. myself, but it seems like a very desirable, nice place to watch a football game. How big of an impact do you think that's had on everything that's happened with Tulane in the last couple of years? There's two sides to it. I, I totally think it was a great idea. For one, it got the students back involved there when they played at the Superdome. And they granted they weren't good, but it just there wasn't the students didn't show up because why it just didn't work. Now that it's an on-campus thing, they had to turn away for the South Alabama game, they had to turn away five um, 1,500 students because they, you know, they have like 5,000 seats designated. Right. Um, and, and they couldn't get in. And the same thing for the UCF game and the conference championship game last year. That to me, that's huge. That at some point that is partially what college athletics is about. I know people have forgotten that, but they've gotten the, the students back involved. I know, there are some people who think that in terms of getting to one of those power five conferences that they, that if the, that it hurts them because it's a 30, you know, we've already had the old Miss AD complaining about only getting 3000 tickets for, for the game. And they feel like you have to have a bigger stadium to be more attractive to a power five conference. But look, attendance, like I said, it's hard to get people to go to games now. That's just, that's the reality all across the country. People want to be on their phone at home <laughs> doing stuff like that. And, and uh, I think, and I think it's, I, I think it helps. I think it helps with recruiting. If I'm a recruit. Yeah. The Superdome is where NFL, the saints play. But if, if a recruit ever goes to a game, it was a morgue. Every game Tulane played at the Superdome. It, it was like a funeral taking place. And it, I, if I'm a football player, I'd much rather play. Um, where there's some type of atmosphere. So I, I think it helps them. But I do I do see this point that conferences are a little leery, major conferences are a little leery about adopting a team that has a 30,000 seat stadium. One of the most depressing atmospheres I've ever been in was the week after Ole Miss lost to Jacksonville State in 2010. They went to play Tulane the next week at the Superdome. Mm -hmm. Ole Miss won that game by a couple of scores, but my God, it was, you would have known it from the crowd size. It was, like you right. mentioned, I think it was an absolute Morgan there. That whole needing a bigger stadium to be more attractive to a conference. I don't ever hear that in the discussion. That seems like across that bridge when you come to it, probably right. if you're a desirable yeah. program that wins is committed to winning, right. you can enhance your stadium later because as what post COVID has shown us, it's just a balancing act. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're right. The main issue was not winning. I mean, it, it, that <laughs> you can invent other reasons for why a school isn't attractive, but when you lose all the time, which Tulane was doing for a long time, that's why you're not attractive. It's not any other side issue.
So heading into this season, Tulane lost its top couple pass catchers. It lost mm-hmm. a generational running back, and I was curious to see what it looked like in week one. I didn't catch a ton of the game against South Alabama live because where I was at in Oxford at the time, but I went back and watched it yesterday morning in preparation for you know this interview and just kind of the week in general, and they looked very impressive. Yeah. Two, that's a South Alabama team that returned, I believe, 19 starters from a 10-win team last year, mm-hmm. and Tulane just kind of destroyed them. And yeah. I don't mean this in a right in any sense to like discredit Tulane or like diminish how well they played. That seemed like a scenario where they had a great environment going. South Alabama made a couple mistakes early. Every single time they made a mistake after that, it was an absolute crucial time in the football game. It seemed like, and Tulane seemed to just take the advantage off advantage off of it. And then the overarching thing I gathered from that game after that was the fact that South Alabama could not cover Tulane vertically down the field. I mean, my God, it was a joke at that point. That was kind of the takeaway I had from that game. I'm just curious what you saw. Yeah, I think Tulane played very well, but it is funny. It, it A lot of people were picking, national people were picking South Alabama to win the game straight up because I don't think they Very trendy. At, they look at the details. Yep, they went 10-2 and two before their bowl game in the Sun Belt, which is a much better conference than it used to be, and Tulane went 12-2. and two. But all you have to do is look at the last game both teams played last year, and you know they weren't on the same level. Tulane beat USC in the Cotton Bowl with the Heisman Trophy winner. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. Um, South Alabama got run out of the New Orleans Bowl by Western Kentucky, which, and if you, after watching Tulane's game against South Alabama, you won't be surprised by this. Western Kentucky threw for over 500 yards in that game. Um, so, so one team gets crushed by Western Kentucky. The other team beats USC. They weren't, Tulane is a much better team than, than South Alabama. Um, and they exposed them in, in this game. Uh, Michael Pratt went 14 for 15. And usually when a quarterback throws one incomplete pass and the one incomplete pass was a drop in the end zone, which was on the money. Usually you're seeing bubble screens, short passes. He averaged 21 yards per completion. So, and and they weren't catching runs. They were down the field passes mostly. And guys were just open all, all game long. Um, and, 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 and it, it's a different, you meant 
Tulane's wide receivers that yes, they lost their two best wide receivers, but this is, I mean, they're two leading wide receivers last year, but this is by far their best receiving core as a whole. They've got four or five guys that can move and run and get open. And, and that's, it's, it's going to be a Tulane's going to win. They're going to throw a lot more this year than they have in any other year in the Willie Fritz era. And, uh, and, and they've got a quarterback in Michael Pratt who can do it. And they've got the receivers that can get open now that that just wasn't the case in the past. Like even the USC game in the Cotton Bowl, Tulane, I mean, Pratt only completed eight passes the whole game and receivers couldn't get open um, for the most part in that game. Didn't matter because Tyje Spears was running all over the field. And when the receivers did get open, they were going 60, 70 yards on the plays. But uh, that that's that's going to be the big difference. Tulane's just their passing game is is really going to be the kind of the, the engine to drive the team this year. We'll get back to Jerry in just a second, but before we do, I want to take a quick break to remind you. Podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorable punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up at any occasion, especially if you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate your game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to an unforgettable game day experience. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. Podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked that the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Can't wait to see the week one college football results from Skybox. Hope you hopped on that and took advantage of it. You can go online today, skyboxsportspicks.com. Check out a picks package in your price range, whether it's college, NFL, still crushing it on Skybox NASCAR. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. Whatever you want to do, I recommend going with the year-long all-access pass. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. They'll email you your picks in a color-coded spreadsheet, and boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were before signing up for Skybox. Use the promo code RIPPE, R-I-P-P-E-E, for 20% off any purchase. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Hopefully you threw something from LB's on the grill this weekend and enjoyed watching Ole Miss win its first game of the season. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats. Right now it's three, six-ounce bacon-wrapped fillets for 20 bucks. Just go in there, show Greg proof of subscription. He'll get you signed up. And then go find all your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of sausages. I like the tri-tips. The filet burgers are delicious. Go find your own favorites at LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Jerry. You mentioned people doing their homework or a lack thereof, particularly media folks. I'm not necessarily sure how much stock I buy in that anymore because every time we go to SEC media days now, it's like, oh, look, seven people pick, predicted Vanderbilt to win the league. Yeah. It's like, hey, what are we doing here? Yeah. What exactly, like, how much stock should we put in this? And, and, and to be fair, national guys, they're not watching Tulane play and they're not watching South. Nobody, none of these guys saw sure. South play one time all year. So I'm not, I'm not even criticizing them like if they were so stupid. It's just if you look closer at the picture, Tulane – Tulane was a legitimately good team last year. They they finished in the top 25 and you and South Alabama, I'm pretty sure never got a vote of a point in, in, in the poll all year, but yeah, they, they returned nine starters on both sides of the ball. Tulane lost Ty J Spears and their top five tacklers. So I can totally understand why somebody looked at it on the surface and, and, and thought that South Alabama might win the game. 
And that's what I was going to ask on the offensive side of the ball. How much of the fact that you think that people focused on that they lost their top two pass catchers statistically, mm -hmm. a generational running back was maybe overhyped by the fact that they actually bring back four linemen, seemingly had decent success running the football in that opening game. And as you mentioned, you think it's a better receiving court. Like how yeah, much of yeah. that do you think was not factored in? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I really think more there was respect for South Alabama because Tulane is ranked in the top 25. And right. how often – how often is a group of five school? I don't care how. I mean, and that Cotton Bowl played a big factor because it was one of the, maybe the most exciting football game played last year. I get that. But how many teams lose a generational running back in their top five tacklers at a group of five school and get ranked in the next year's preseason poll? Um, there's a lot of times that just doesn't that doesn't happen. So I think there was respect for Tulane. I just think there was over. And then they looked in. Yeah, I mean, South Alabama lost by one point to UCLA last year early in the year, but that was early in the year. And then I, I think it was more about. Uh, uh, about overrating them, I think I think Tulane's actually getting a lot of respect. But uh, yeah, I mean, but yeah, when you lose your top five tacklers and a and a, and a running back, there are questions going into you. And 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 your other question, I don't I don't really think Tulane ran the ball that well in the first half against South Alabama. But that's one area where South Alabama is good. They last year they finished third in the nation in rushing defense, only average allowing ninety two yards a game, and they returned all those guys. So I don't know if that that was a great. Um, proof of what Tulane's running game is going to be, but they Tulane definitely has not found it back yet. They tried four different guys against South Alabama and they may try five against Ole Miss on Saturday because they're still looking to find out who can be their, their bell cow. And they're not, there's not going to be a Ty J Spears on the roster, but Willie Fritz has had a lot of running backs that have been successful in the past. And he's just looking for a guy that he can count on and they didn't find that yet. So we'll see what happens this Saturday. Why wasn't Pratt not the latest guy to go from a group of five school and accept a shit ton of NIL money and then just figure it out at the next level? And that, again, because because he and Willie Fritz are kind of cut from the same mold. It, it's very unusual. You know, look, I'm a graduate of the University of Florida. I covered the University of Florida. I had people calling me from there saying it was basically a done deal that he was going to go to Florida to, to be their quarterback this year. And Boy, um, they wish they'd have had that in Utah last yeah, week. But that's yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. And but yeah, he was he was a he was homeschooled growing up, and it wasn't until high school that he went to school. He's very loyal, and I'm not saying it was an easy decision for him. He's a Florida native, but he's one of those people. Willie Fritz loves to use the phrase that the grass isn't always greener on the other side, and I think Pratt believed it. He saw what Tulane had coming back. He felt you go into a new situation for one year, you have no idea how it's going to play out. He loved, he, he loves Tulane and he decided to stay. And you know, his sister who was an Ivy league basketball player transferred to Tulane this year um, to play for their basketball team. So that's, you know, clearly he, he said really good things about, about Tulane to her. And he just, he felt like he was in a better situation, but there aren't just like with Willie Fritz, not leaving for a power five program. There's not very many examples like that. I think where your quarterback who's his, and, and apparently Notre Dame at one time was really interested in it too. He just decided to stay at Tulane and uh, definitely less nil money um, at, at Tulane than, than uh, if he'd have gone elsewhere. How shocked you that didn't happen after 2021? What what I said? Oh. So Pratt leaving after 2021, yeah. how surprised were you that didn't happen after the that? That I wasn't surprised with because, and this, this is true. It wasn't just, a, it wasn't just coach speak. That was a very together team. Wilfred's always says that he had no problems on that team. And he said, you, how often do you have a two and 10 football team that gets displaced to Birmingham for a month during a season where you don't have discipline issues or guys 
losing. They just they had so much on their plate. New Orleans was a battered city. When when they came back to New Orleans, they stayed at a they stayed at a hotel before their first home game the week after the Ole Miss game, and there was like no running water um, that that worked. At, at the state there was there wasn't electricity in a lot of areas of the city some guys had had their houses some the guys from south louisiana that were on the team and had their houses destroyed their parents houses destroyed and stuff stuff like that so there was so much stuff that's just tough for 18 to 22 year olds to to deal with but pratt they knew what they had coming back like they the first week of that year they almost beat oklahoma at oklahoma they were right there at the end of the game pratt got pratt scrambled into oklahoma territory got stopped a half a yard short of the first down when they were down six they they did not believe at all that they were a two and ten team. They believed that they were a team that could break through. One of their Mississippi native Nick Anderson, their linebacker, media day last year proclaimed that Tulane was going to win the athletic the American Athletic Conference, and which you just don't you you don't hear out of Tulane guys saying stuff like that that often. They Pratt really thought that they could they could do what they did last year going in, and and he he proved right. Losing your top two pass catchers statistically and you thinking that they have a better was oh, yeah. wide receiving core this year, that speaks to the recruitment and the way they've done that. How has Fritz recruited a group of five level to actually sustain talent and not have a huge drop off after a year like last year? Yeah, a couple of things. They've had a they've had a really good eye for for talent. Like this past year, Dorian Williams was a third round draft pick of the Buffalo Bills. He was basically a 190 pound linebacker in high school that you had to project Tulane. They weren't he, at the very end. He had some suitors, but Tulane was first in on him. They saw his potential. He turned out to be an absolutely terrific player. So you've got to recruit well. Um, you, retention. Jaden Candy now at Ole Miss. First good player that Tulane has had that has left the program as a starter, as a clear starter to go somewhere else. That's unheard of at that level too, because usually at that at, at Tulane's level, if, if a guy has a great season, he's going on to, to greener pastures. So they've had a they've done a really good job at creating this atmosphere where players want to stay in, in the program. And the third, they've done they they hit it huge on the transfer portal last year. They had mixed success every other year under under Willie Fritz. <laughs> they they brought in ten guys, and not all of them were superstars. But for example, the safety that basically won them a game against USC was. Patrick Jenk, Patrick Jenkins made the tackle, defensive tackle. He was at TCU the year before and started half the games. He transferred. He's from New Orleans. He transferred back to Tulane. That's a guy he never would have considered Tulane coming out of high school. Um, the white one of their best wide receivers this year, Lawrence Keys. He was a New Orleans um, product. He went to Notre Dame. Didn't play a ton at Notre Dame. Had some injury problems. He transferred back. He's an awesome player. I mean, he, he had a, he, he had two huge plays against South Alabama. He's just got a ton of talent. He's another guy that didn't even consider Tulane coming out of high school. So it, it's on both fronts. It's it, it's finding the right pieces in the transfer portal. A lot of guys that were local that thought they were going to bigger programs that maybe didn't pan out that well that come back and just having a good eye for, for recruits because it's not it's not like they're beating SEC schools for players out of high school. Um, that's that that's not happening. And uh, and but they found a way to, to get and, and it's deep. It's a deep team, too. They're so much deeper now than they, than they were just even a couple of years ago. How much of Pratt leaving the game in the fourth quarter last week was precautionary versus how much are you concerned about his health heading into this week? He's a tough hombre. I I'm sure he's not 100 percent. But uh, the, the, the last exam, last year when Tulane played UCF in the conference championship game. 
for the first time, because Tulane's about the only program in the country practices are still open to the media. Um, that just doesn't really occur anymore. Doesn't so happen I, much. I actually get to watch practice. Now, there's certain things I'm not allowed to report, but they closed all their practices before the UCF game. And the reason was Pratt didn't practice once before that game. Um, he had a heel injury where he could apparently could barely walk. Painkillers are a wonderful thing, though. Um, and and uh, <laughs> game comes. He threw for a school, he hit a personal record, 365 yards, and even ran for a 20-yard touchdown for the last score of that game for, to, 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 to finish UCF off. If I if it weren't him, I'd be more concerned for Tulane. Um, but he is unbelievably tough kid. I, I watched the replay of the play where it looked like he where it looked like he got hurt. And it was again four and a half minutes left in the game. He's scrambling. He tries to do a spin move. They're up 17 points. And then a guy just fell on his leg as he went on the ground. And it, so it, it totally depends on how much how much damage did he do. I, I guarantee you he'll play Saturday. And just his history says he'll play really well. But we'll, we'll find out when when the game starts, what, what, he, what his status is. I guess it begs the question, were practices closed this week? Or are you allowed to disclose? No, they weren't. We were allowed. And he's been, you know, he, he's been out there. But, you know college practice it's not like they ever you know, nobody hits anymore in in in, in practice um his arms fine <laughs> um it's just going to be a matter of how much can he run um down uh, down the field but again <laughs> he, he was worse off supposedly i mean i know he was worse off last year before the UCF game in the conference championship game and he looked absolutely no different than than, than he normally is and and if for whatever re- he's definitely going to play if for whatever reason he's not effective their backup quarterback, Kai Horton, the one game Pratt missed last year, Tulane had to play at Houston, which was the preseason favorite in the league. And, and Kai Horton went and delivered an overtime victory. So they've act, they've got some depth, obviously, without Michael Pratt. If he's not 100% healthy, it would be an issue. But it's not like Tulane is hopeless with, with, with their backup quarterback. Is there one single thing Pratt has improved upon from 2021 to now that has made him to the quarterback that he is today? Yeah, d- decision making and accuracy. He's always been a tough guy. He's always been able to make some plays, but his his completion percentage—you can just watch it going from barely over fifty percent when he played as a freshman to fifty-five percent to like sixty-three percent last year. And he's just—he's—he's he, he's incredibly accurate. The, the moment I feel like he really turned the corner, Tulane was playing at Cincinnati last year in their regular season finale, a game they had to win to make the conference championship game. They were the better team for three quarters. And then Cincinnati scores to get close, gets the ball back, goes down the field, takes their first lead of the game by four points with eight minutes left at home, two-time defending champion. Tulane goes back on the field, bang, 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 completion, 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 75-yard touchdown drive. One and a half minutes later, they're back in lead, and every pass was like right into the hands of the guys. That was the next step Pratt had to make. He's he, he's gotten better and better each year at reading defenses and, and just being accurate with his throws, and, and, and that's the big difference. If Tulane wins this game on Saturday, what does that look like in your opinion? And I asked this as someone who's watched Ole Miss for four quarters. They are hit the transfer portal harder than anyone else. I still feel like I know next to nothing about this team after watching them beat the shit out of Mercer 70 to seven. But in your opinion, from what you've been able to gather, if Tulane wins, what does that look like? The USC game was 46 to 45. I'm not saying this would be that high scoring, but I, I think Tulane's going to have to score a lot. They're going to have to. I, I don't know. I've talked to people who feel like Ole Miss's defense has really improved. I don't know that yet. I know. I don't either. But like Phil Steele didn't have any Ole Miss defensive player on his first, second, or third team in the preseason. Tulane's got a good offense. They they don't have a Ty J Spears, but they they know what they're doing on offense, and they're going to have to score a lot because Ole Miss is going to score. 
That's just the reality of it. Um, Tulane has a really good run defense, but I don't know if they had, I don't know if anybody has a run defense other than maybe Georgia or somebody like that that can slow down a 1500 yard rusher who just was an absolute stud as a freshman. Um, Tulane's kryptonite last year was a quarterback who could run UCS quarterback who Ole Miss people know well. <laughs> um, uh, he, he killed Tulane in the game Tulane the first time they played um, Jackson Dart can run. Uh, so I think Ole Miss is going to score that and, and that pace. You just Tulane doesn't see that against anybody else that 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 pace of play. So Tulane's got to score a lot. They're going to have to control the ball. And, 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 and so if Tulane wins, it's going to be a score where I think both teams are in the 30s at least. I completely agree. I think this game comes down to the Ole Miss defense. I think if, you know, I don't know what to make of the Ole Miss defense. I thought they had more bodies that looked better that they could rotate up front. There was some thought on the back end. They look really slow. They have a absolute ton of transfers on the back end, particularly at safety and in the secondary. And I don't know what to make of that against a passing offense that seems to be as prolific as ever in the Fritz era. And that's, to me, what this game comes down to. I do think Tulane will have to score to win. I'm just curious, like, can Ole Miss stop them? Or do they get really exposed and you turn around and Pete Golding his first year and it's like, all right, they don't really have the horses yet. And I think that's what this comes down to. For a mm -hmm. program, what, I mean, biggest Tulane home game since when? Well, the UCF game that was the conference okay. championship game last year. So, but if you're talking about scheduled. <laughs> yeah, game, scheduled. We'll go regular biggest, season. Biggest Tulane home game since in 1998 when they went 12 and 0 and they played Louisiana tech in their last game, just because this is a program that had never gone undefeated. Now I, I would make the case that Tulane might've been better last year than they were that year. And that year, that team had an unbelievable offense with Sean King, but I, I, I've looked it up. They didn't beat a team that year in 1998. They got a point in the final eight people and Tulane last year went on that run where they beat, uh, uh, the, the three teams that were leaving the league, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF, and then the USC in the in, in the Cotton Bowl. So I'd say this this ranks right up there. It, 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 it's one or one A in the last 40 years. It would be downright un-American not to make you give a prediction before we get out of here. I really have absolutely zero feel for this game. Again, I yeah. think Ole Miss will score. If their defense holds up, I think they probably win the game, but I have no idea what to make of their defense. What do you think happens? obviously top to bottom Ole Miss has a better roster. That's just the reality of the situation. Now their defense has to play better than it has under, under Kiffin a, a lot of times. I was leaning towards picking Tulane, but then Corey, not Michael Pratt, but linebacker Corey Platt making his first career start had 15 tackles against South Alabama before the end of the third quarter. However, on the 15th tackle, which was a sack on fourth down where he chased the quarterback down on the sideline he suffered an Achilles injury that they haven't revealed the extent, but he's definitely not playing against Ole Miss. There's a good chance he's out for the year. They don't have another Corey Platt on their roster. I mean, they, I, I mentioned Dorian Williams last year. Corey Platt is like Dorian Williams, about 10 pounds lighter. He can cover 30 yards down the field. He can blitz. He can do everything. He's their fastest linebacker. And without him, I just, you know, I, and with a typical Lane Kiffin offense, I, I I would trust Ole Miss more to 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 score enough points than I do Tulane. But I think I think it I think it could be if if Pratt's hundred percent healthy and plays like he did last week, I think it could, it'll be a game that could go could go right down to the wire.
if Tulane were to win the game, how does that set up the rest of the year? Is there like I've looked through the I couldn't tell you I have their schedule pulled up right now, but I couldn't begin to tell you like what's a tough game and what is not just because I haven't yeah. done enough homework on the team since. What does that do for the rest of the year if they do win this game against the top twenty five team at the if time? If they do win it, fans will start talking playoffs. I mean, because right, <laughs> that that's the way fans are, and and the, and the fact that Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF left the league. There's a couple of games, UTSA, maybe they're not that good. They'd won two straight conference USA championships. They've got a seventh year quarterback who's who's in his fourth year as a starter um, coming back. They play in the conference finale at home at Tulane because the conference thinks they're going to be the two best teams. But the game to circle after this one is Memphis because Memphis has absolutely run Tulane. Every time Tulane's played at Memphis, it's been a wipeout. And four years ago, 2019, Tulane was five and one and ranked one spot out of the top 25. And I remember doing a podcast back then with a Memphis guy, and I predicted that Tulane would win the game. And there were a lot of people, sort of like South Alabama against Tulane last week, there were a lot of national people picking Tulane to win the game. And then Memphis basically scored every single touchdowns on every single drive they had for the first three quarters and won 45 to 17 or something like that. And Tulane, that Tulane team was never the same. Again, so they they need to they play Memphis on a Friday, I think in October. That's 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 I think Memphis beat them by thirty points or more every year that they played in Memphis under Willie Fritz. So to me, that's the game to circle. But you look at the teams in the league and you look at how they did in the first week. If Tulane gets by Ole Miss, the sky's the limit for this team. Last thing I had for you, I didn't really have this one planned, but you've covered Tulane for a while. You mentioned you covered the University of Florida. Where do you stand on the whole Group of Five Power Five gap? Because you had a team two years ago in Cincinnati that more than held their own in a playoff game against just a juggernaut of an Alabama team. But as someone who covers this week in and week out, what have you seen and what do you kind of just make of the gap between the group of five? And really, I'm asking about the American Conference and the Sun yeah. Belt with all due respect to others. But what do you what do you well, make of the gap between if, the two? If you take if you take the overall team for team, there's a minute, there's a there's a huge gap. That's that's just the reality. But if you take the best team from from these leagues. They've proven, that's really what I'm asking. Best yeah, they've proven over and over they can play. I mean, Cincinnati, Georgia's won national championships two years back to back. I actually think the Cincinnati team that played Georgia in the Peach Bowl may have been a little bit better than the Cincinnati team that got to the college football playoffs. And they had that game won, and their coach absolutely blew it with time management at, near the end of the game. And they gave Georgia a chance to get the ball back and kick a long field goal to win the game. And Georgia hadn't done much losing <laughs> since then with back with back-to-back national championships and Cincinnati was right there. It's over and over. You can bring up example after example uh, where these teams. So I think the top team in the American athletic conference more years than not is going to be able to play with just about anybody except the Georges maybe uh, uh, of the world in college football, the, the, the teams that are going to be playing in the national championship. And I, I, you can't convince me for sure that TCU was a better team than Tulane last year. Their quarterback is pretty awesome. So maybe, but, but the rest of Tulane's roster, I actually think was better than TCU and TCU was playing in the national, in the national championship game. So, yeah, I think there's one or two teams every year from the, from the group, from the, the group of five that, that can, that can play with almost anybody. He is Jerry Smith. He covers, Tulane for the Times Picayune, New Orleans Advocate, NOLA.com, as well as the Rave, Wave Report. Can't talk today, Rivals.com. I really appreciate the time, my man. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, enjoy the game Saturday, and I really enjoy catching up. I appreciate it. And I'm just glad I'm going to be in the air conditioned press box because we didn't even talk about that. But 2 30 in the afternoon in, in, in New Orleans, uh, how's old Mrs. Conditioning? 
<laughs> I, they we don't see enough practice to know yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a hot one it is i yeah. can confirm as a resident of mississippi it has been hot here too that's about all yeah. i can report right so they're used to it it's just how do you how do you do in the game and the one thing we didn't even mention Tulane changed after the two and 10 season, Willie Fritz changed his strength and conditioning coordinator. He had the same okay. guy with him for forever. And the new guy, all the players love him. They, they, they feel like they're in much better shape. And they, I can't count. It, it's more than 10. I can't count on both hands. How many games Tulane lost early years of the Willie Fritz era in the fourth quarter. And last year we saw it against USC, but the Cincinnati game Tulane was in Kansas state when Tulane went up there earlier in the year and out physical them in the fourth quarter it was a team that's in much better shape and they're, they're going to look, there's no, they have much better depth in the past. They don't have the same, they don't have sec depth, but they've gotten in the condition now where they should be able to handle. I I don't know if it's possible to handle 92 degrees with humidity in the middle of the day, but they're in much better shape than they would have been in the past. I'll give you the one inside scoop I can offer because I was a live human being in the building. It was unseasonably cool last week for Ole Miss' season opener. It was not that bad. So if the heat comes back up, they're a week (laughs) out from it actually being absurdly hot. So that would be the one inside nugget I can offer you. They've they've been spoiled with unseasonably cool temperatures for about 10 days now. Who knows if that makes a difference? It was literally, it was getting up to 100 degrees every day here, which is not normal, even for New Orleans. For and there's no inside year, option, as you during mentioned. August. There actually is, because the Saints, they went and practiced at the Superdome. They have a great relationship with the Saints. They can either practice at the Saints indoor facility or the Superdome, but you can't do that every day. And they didn't want to do it every day because they play outdoors. But there was there was some period, there was some more, and they practice in the morning and they practice earlier than usual. They were practicing like 7.30 to 9.30, but there were, there were days at 9.30 when I was about to faint and all I was doing was standing on the sideline and I, I wasn't out on the, on, on, on the field. So. Well, so how, now that you mentioned this, I wanted to ask it earlier, but I want to keep you too long. The whole yeah. conference realignment discussion about mm-hmm. stadium size and all of that with Tulane's relationship with the Saints if that call ever does come in the next round of realignment, couldn't they just say, hey, if worse comes to worse, we can just play a few games in the Dome? Is that an yeah, actual could. chip they have in the holster? It probably is. And again, I know a lot of people and media people who think they should go back to playing all their games in the Dome. And I look at them like they're insane. No, the on-campus <laughs> thing is way more but, genuine. But yeah, that, that's certainly, can't replicate that's, that. uh, they don't want to do that because they feel like they have a clear advantage playing at their stadium. But sure, I mean, the Dome is there and they have a great relationship with the Saints. So if 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 that came to be that that was a way into a conference, that would be an option for sure. Jerry Smith, probably the only podcast guest we've ever had that's willingly stuck around for bonus questions. I appreciate the time. <laughs> Enjoy the game and uh, we'll catch up soon. Hey, thanks for having me on. I, it was fun. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. We'll have uh, LB's Greg on to make some picks tomorrow. Probably a little Ole Miss preview at the top of that as well. Maybe a little solo pod action. Haven't decided yet, but get you ready for the game. Thanks for listening. As always, we'll be back tomorrow.